In the name of the true and living God, amen. Please be seated. When this space was originally built in the year 1816, when it was completed, back then, as you could expect, there was no electricity. And so where we see these windows that are colored with stained glass painted on, they used to be clear glass windows. You can imagine back then it's a practical thing to want to bring in as much light as possible. But many decades later, in the 1880s, the church decided to renovate the interior of our sanctuary. And James Renwick was brought on for that task. He's famous for building the Smithsonian, Cap uh, Smithsonian Castle that you have seen. And the decision was made then that it was time to add stained glass windows. And so the studio of Lauren in Chartres, France, became uh, the people that we engaged to do the art that would then be installed in 1885 when the windows were all completed. And if you have the chance to, to look closely, and I encourage you to do it when, when you're able to be in this room and during some downtime, if you look closely, there are all kinds of details that are easily missed. Um, one thing over there on, on that window in, in the middle where you see Jesus speaking to Peter. You know it's Peter because he's got the big keys hanging from his belt. And right around Jesus, in the little space between and, and by his back, uh, there are these surreal sheep that are floating in the air because he is the Lamb of God. And the artist wanted us to see that if we were to look. And I've heard, I know the choir is sitting on this side of the room today, but sometimes choir members are sitting over there and a number of people have shared with me over the years how wonderful it is to get to look at that window during really boring sermons. <laughs> Many beautiful details to observe. But when the light comes in, this room is blessed, being washed in brilliant color. And it's like the windows, the nature of these windows, it's like they come alive. And we hear today about Mary and Elizabeth, and we hear about when they see each other, and there's that recognition, and they're both pregnant at this time. And Elizabeth is pregnant with baby John the Baptist, and Jesus, I mean, uh, Mary is pregnant, of course, with Jesus. And John the Baptist, even though he is an unborn baby, is already great at his job. And he recognizes that Jesus is in his midst, and he leaps for joy. He's already pointing to the Savior who is coming to the world. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and inspired, literally inspired, to say the words that she says, proclaiming how blessed Mary is. And then Mary opens her mouth, and I think we are to assume that the Holy Spirit has filled her as well, and she recites what is like a prayer, almost like a song. And the words that have been recorded and used and set to music and for centuries we have known this particular prayer by the name Magnificat. And the, the word comes from the opening of what she says. The very first words, my soul magnifies the Lord. What an interesting phrase. We know what all those words mean, but we typically, in the way that we use English, wouldn't string those words together. Have you ever said to someone else that your soul magnifies something? 
but we totally know what Mary means. Like the window that is brought to light, brought to life by the light that comes through it, Mary is magnifying the Lord for the world to see. And we do magnify things with our lives. We, we enlarge and make visible whatever it is that, that we are magnifying. And I think that we have some intentionality, some opportunity to think, what is it that we do magnify? What do we need to magnify with our souls for the world to see? Not that many months ago, we had some very turbulent times here, and in this neighborhood, all of the buildings boarded up all of their windows, including, of course, St. John's. It was a sad thing to have to do, though it did occur to me when I was walking around and I would see the boarded up windows of all the you know, federal buildings and, and other kinds of buildings, I thought, well, what's behind the boards at St. John's are very special windows. And my prayer was that these windows would once again have light shining through them and be able to serve the way they were intended to, to uplift the spirits of the people who come here. And I had the interesting experience, and some of you did as well, to be in this space when the windows were all boarded up, and it was even darker than if you were here at night, because at night there's at least a little bit of light from the street, the city that comes in, but it was just pitch black on all these windows. And if somebody came and they saw St. John's for the very first and only time in their lives, I would always point up to the stained glass up at the very top. That was the only place where you could see the stained glass illumined by light. And we eventually uh, created sort of a Hollywood trick. Somebody had this good idea, and if you were tuning in from home during those days, you may be thinking, well, it looked like light was coming in through the windows. Well, what we did is we took the boards that were behind those windows and a couple others up front and we strung lights in between the boards and the windows so that it would light up and we'd flip the switch and it was like daylight outside. Um, but only for the cameras. <laughs> and the, the caution about stained glass anywhere at a church is that it serves those of us who are inside we benefit because that beauty that comes in and washes this place with color, we're the ones who get to enjoy it. But out on the street, when you look at stained glass window from outside, it doesn't look like much. It just looks like randomly curved, curved markings on, on dark glass. And so when we had this opportunity, it became an opportunity when the windows were boarded, um, we were blessed, in fact, to be approached by artists here in the city uh, and they asked if they could paint images and messages of hope and calls for justice on these boards facing outward. And we said, of course. Um, and we had more than a dozen artists painting more than 20 of these windows, these boards. They became like windows shining outward. Some of them explicitly trying to look like stained glass windows, evoking that same feeling. And I can tell you thousands upon thousands of people over those many months walked by and they were blessed. They were uplifted to see the message that was conveyed by those colorful boards at that time. We flipped it around. We caused the windows, instead of to shine inward, to shine outward. To magnify the Lord. That is our goal.
The Lord needs to be magnified. And like Mary, it is our job to seek ways that we can do and be. Agents of, of the bringing of that goodness. And back to Mary. I think it's easy to forget because Mary is remembered now and revered so much that during Mary's life, before the angel Gabriel came to her especially, Mary was a nobody. She was somebody who wouldn't have been recognized uh, for any importance. And while she is revered now, uh, she was exactly the opposite then. And so, when she says in her prayer, the Magnificat, that the Lord will cast down the mighty and that the Lord will lift up the lowly, it's actually autobiographical. She's speaking of her very own life because she is the lowly. The prophecy is already being fulfilled in her very life. And as to uh, paraphrase what our presiding bishop loves to say, the Lord is turning the world upside down and making it right side up. One more connection about Mary and our church that I just discovered yesterday, actually. Um, as I was, was researching this, I was wondering where the studio is in Chartres and how close it is to the cathedral that is so famous around the world. The, Notre Dame de Chartres, Our Lady of Chartres, is one of the Gothic masterpieces in Europe. And it turns out the, the stained glass studio is very close, um, but I learned something I hadn't known before. Some of you may have been to the cathedral. I never have. At the cathedral, named after the Virgin Mary, they actually have one of the relics from her life. They have the veil that she was wearing when the angel Gabriel came to her. And if the internet is to be trusted, <laughs> scientists have actually tested the veil and found that there are traces from bee pollen from first century Palestine. So it might be true. And when you think of those artists whose hands graced these beautiful windows more than 100 years ago, those artists would have known that veil. They would have seen it in their lives up close, bringing Mary a little closer to us. We need more of the magnification that Mary brought. We need to live into that more and more ourselves. We need to see humility exalted and the lowly raised up. The true light, which is the light of the world according to John, both washes us in the brilliance of God's love, and it also empowers us to partner with God in bringing both justice and peace. Mary's love for her son and for God did not make her life easy. It was exactly the opposite. But it made her life meaningful. It made her life blessed. Amen.